Content warning. This video contains content that involves violence, suicide, and death. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome once again, one and all, to another Saturday spooktacular session with the Mega Strange Boys. What's happening, everybody? It's Derek and Johnny. Johnny and Derek. We're here again with some stories of the strange, the bizarre, the mythical, the urban legends that nobody can believe are true. We hardly believe them ourselves, but Never. we research them, we deep dive them, we give you all the information, and you can decide for yourself what you believe. Johnny, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. We have a, you know, a reflector, reflecting light, but uh, I don't think we need one. My forehead is so big and white that it's just, you know, shooting <laughs> light beams out. That's because you got a big brain in there. Yeah, I got a big brain. And it's bursting out of your skull. I wish and to be smart. It's straining your skin so much. It's it's like white knuckle, but you're, it's called white noggin. <laughs> white the, noggin. The brain is going so fast in That's there. That's my favorite Clash song. White noggin. Hey, everybody. Today's episode is going to be a fun one. Well, that's not true. It's going to be a dark episode. Oh, I, yeah. I had fun researching it, but we're going to be talking about some topics that are going to be off-putting to some people. We're revisiting a topic that we actually have covered in the past. And I would say we've actually done two episodes in this realm. And today we're going to combine them into part three. This is going to be celebrity urban legends. Now, some people out there may remember a few months ago, we did an episode all about the music industry. And I yeah. really, uh, I highly recommend people go back and watch that episode. After this one, if you haven't seen it already, it was one of our most popular episodes. We talked about uh, the Avril Lavigne clone. I think we went into uh, the love roller coaster murder caught on tape. Yeah, it's, it's funny because like, I feel like, after we did that episode, all that stuff kind of entered the ethos again. A lot of people have been like tweeting at me like uh, there's like this Twitter that just uh, it's like deep diving Wikipedia. Yeah. And they just show screenshots. And then one was like the Avril Lavigne yeah. mystery. And I was we, like, oh, shit. We, we also that uh, famously talked about how the guys in Led Zeppelin bought a house that used to belong to Aleister Crowley and had over a thousand demons in it. It was one of our most popular segments of all time. Definitely check that out if you haven't seen it. And then we followed it up with a cursed movies episode. Yeah. And we talked about all of these ghost stories from famous Hollywood um, films. It was such a popular collection of episodes. Uh, a lot of people have been asking us to get back to this subject. So today, you got it. We are deep diving celebrity urban legends, mysterious deaths, conspiracy theories, and the dark side of of Hollywood. I thought you were going to say of cinema. The dark side of cinema. We've got a lot of interesting stories to talk about title. today. Yes. I'm going to be covering um, the conspiracy theories surrounding the death of Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be talking about how a founding member of the uh, 90s pop group TLC predicted her own death. Uh, and then I'm going to be talking about how Steven Spielberg potentially filmed a victim of a serial killer in one of his movies before she was murdered. And a lot of people think that that this might be the clue to solving one of America's longest uh, and most um, attention-grabbing unsolved murders. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and then Johnny has a couple things as well. In fact, Johnny told me before we started filming that he has prepared a speech, something he's very passionate about. 
I have no idea what the contents <laughs> of this speech are, and I'm very excited to get to that. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna get into like Hollywood. I think the greatest stuntman in all of Hollywood, a mystery surrounding that. Oh, and then yeah, I have my speech. I'm not gonna say anything. You're gonna sit there and and hear it later. I'm gonna bless your ears. No, I shouldn't overhype it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, but before we get into that, we just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Cryptid Crate. Uh, go check out Cryptid Crate. If you like this show and all things paranormal, you're going to love Cryptid Crate. You can find them at boxmountainllc.com. Cryptid Crate uh, releases a monthly box that you can subscribe to with all kinds of cool stuff about cryptids, monsters, and paranormal creatures. They just put out their flying cryptid box. Oh, and uh, this thing was awesome. It came with the Mothman Legacy DVD in it, which was um, a 77-minute documentary about the Mothman. Damn. Uh, it also had some Mothman shirts in there, some baseball caps, some action figures, stickers, and a couple other badass items. Box Mountain LLC is where you can sign up for Cryptid Crate. And when you do that, use the discount code MEGASTRANGE to get up to 50% off your subscription. I just want to say, if you're not subscribed to Cryptid Crate, you're really missing out because, you know, you may be like, eh, uh, I'll wait till next month. But if you wait, you're going to miss out on the cool Mothman documentary. You're going to miss out on all this cool stuff Derek just said. I so. will say, outside of Cryptid Crate, um, Bye right now. <laughs> I got kind of burnt out on Loot Crate back in the day. And yeah. I felt like there were a lot of crates coming out for a while. And I fell off. Mm-hmm. About five years ago. Crates fell off. But recently, I have rediscovered the crate industry. <laughs> and not only did I sign up for Cryptid Crate, and I was very pleased with it, but I got a wrestling crate as wrestling well. Crate. You saw the wrestling crate I got. Dude. Terry Funk stickers, um, like uh, a DVD of wrestling superstars when they were still underground, and you were jealous. Hey, wrestling crate, if you're watching this. I did email them once, and they never responded. Okay, Sponsors. well, we already have a sponsor, Johnny, oh, sorry, sorry, and sorry. it's Cryptid Crate. <laughs> yeah. My point is, is that crates are cool. Crates are it, cool. It's like the second evolution, the second generation of the crate industry, and I think uh, people should check it out. So, And there's a sampler at Cryptid Crate that you can pick up for yourself. Okay, I wanted to start today's episode with um, a famous actress, Marilyn Monroe. Oh. Johnny. Yes. What do you know about Marilyn Monroe? Um, she got uh steam blasted. Uh, uh <laughs> sorry, that's fucked up. Uh, she she said, "Wait, I'm sorry. I assume you're talking about that movie where uh, yeah, the train blows her dress up. <laughs> steam blasted. She got steam blasted. She said, "Happy birthday, Mr. President." By the way, um. um uh, yeah, she did sing Happy Birthday, Mr. President. That steam blasting scene. Uh, you're from New York. What, doesn't that happen when the subways run underground and they blast steam upwards? I, I don't. I think it's like when it's cold out. They're yeah. not blasting steam. I think or they're just blasting shit in general. And I think it's just when it's like, isn't it out. like raw sewage? I feel like I've been know. there and it smells like hot trash. There's there's some weird times. Uh, yeah, because every time I see that scene of Marilyn Monroe, like <laughs> I just imagine it's like the most foul smelling oh, like yeah. moist uh funk just blasting <laughs> her nostrils you definitely don't want to and honestly that like her white underwear and yeah. dress is probably like comes <laughs> out like cigarette stained yellow from <laughs> all of that from all that steam blasting going on you definitely don't want to breathe it in 
You definitely don't want to breathe it in. Well, uh, Marilyn Monroe, uh, by many, is considered to be the most famous um, blonde bombshell slash sex icon in American history. And I think that there is uh, something to that. Honestly, can you name somebody who's more famous than Marilyn Monroe as like the American sex icon? I hate to say sex icon, but I don't know what other phrase is appropriate for like, you know, she was an actress, but she was like the it girl was, of her time and of all time. Uh, Even to this day, people still get compared to Marilyn Monroe. And my, my head goes to Bridget Bordeaux or whatever her name is, but I think she was like 70s. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been other femme fatales yeah. and, and, and bombshells in Hollywood throughout all time. You know, Greta Garbo, Betty oh, Page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think Marilyn Monroe is the queen of it all. And honestly, it might be because her death was so mysterious. It elevated her in the in the mind of the public to this legendary figure, much in the same way James Dean died and he lived on in infamy. Yeah, yeah, and, my mom's obsessed with James Dean. Yeah, and we covered the James Dean um, cursed car in our previous Hollywood episode, mm-hmm. so you can look that up if you want that story. Um, Marilyn Monroe was married to famous people. She lived this party lifestyle. She was married to Arthur Miller, the author of The Crucible. Wow. She was married to Joe DiMaggio, world's uh, greatest baseball player of all time. <laughs> How far apart were these? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I know that after she she divorced both of them, mm-hmm. and at the time of her death, she wasn't married to anybody, but Joe DiMaggio paid for her funeral, paid okay. for her coffin, paid for everything. He was in love with her. I, I've even heard stories that Joe DiMaggio would go to her grave and put a rose on it on the day of her death day and birthday every year until he died. He Damn. never got over Marilyn Monroe. And honestly, could you blame him? Yo, Marilyn, I never, could had, you, I never had pussy as good as you. All right. Keep PC, Johnny. Sorry, I'll bleep it out. You ever uh, been dumped by a girl and yes. then felt like, damn, I, I messed up. I wish I was still with her. Kinda, yeah. Yeah, like, I just yeah. like a little bit. I like bit. thought of exes, like occasionally. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll, occasionally. I'll, I'll now, get, like, a now imagine if she was Marilyn and <laughs> fucking Roe. Uh, there's this one uh, comedian. I wish I could remember her name, but she dated Chris Evans, and when they broke up was right around the time he was in Civil War. Uh, as Captain America. As Captain America. So imagine breaking up with someone and seeing like him on every billboard. Ever. Yikes. <laughs> anyway, continue. That's got to be rough. Um, I'm trying Who's to find Jenny my- Slate. My pages here. Uh, Marilyn Monroe's death was shocking. So at the time of her death, Marilyn Monroe was famous in the 40s, the 50s, and the early 60s. But at the time of her death, her career was waning a little bit. She was having um, issues with the studio. She had been fired from a couple of movies, had lost her acting contracts, was in the process of negotiating them, trying to stage a comeback. She was also um, struggling with her personal relationships. Mm -hmm. Her marriages had fallen apart. There's even reports that she was dealing with psychosis, that she was suffering from mental illness that was getting progressively worse. You've said in the past that it's hard to be a, an actor, uh, a lady actor in the 50s, because yeah. everybody is like messing with your self-esteem, your self-image. They're telling you to lose weight. Who was it? Who yeah, the one I, I think about the most is Judy Garland uh, from The Wizard of Oz. Uh, apparently, you know, later in life, we learned that like people kept telling her she was fat. And if you look at the Wizard of Oz, she's like a fucking twig. Yeah. And uh, yeah, later in life, you learn like she was living off cigarettes and fucking antidepressants. Like <laughs> that was her diet. I feel like the, the the Hollywood system was really bad to women at that time. I think I mean, it, it someone could argue it still is. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're right. Um, so after Marilyn Monroe's death, uh, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. she died of an overdose, okay. a barbiturate overdose. It was ruled an accidental overdose, an accidental death. But a lot of people think that she did herself in, that she was suffering from mental illness and depression and pressure and just couldn't take it anymore and that she purposely OD'd. Okay. That's the official story. But it goes much deeper than that. Because just a few years after her death, there was a man named uh, Campbell, that was his last name, and he self-published a pamphlet that claimed that Marilyn Monroe had been murdered by the CIA in a far-reaching plot to... Stop the spread of communism that Marilyn Monroe and John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy were all secretly communists. And that is why they all three of them were assassinated by the U.S. government or something. It was a very vague and very um, dismissed claim from this one pamphlet that was self-published in the 60s. Uh, I know famously... Arthur Miller was uh, put on a list for being a supposed communist and she was married to him. So, whoa, is there wait, a, you're right. Is there That's any connection true. there? That's actually fucking true. <laughs> Arthur Miller was blackballed in Hollywood for being a communist sympathizer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Marilyn Monroe was married to Arthur Miller. There I, may be some truth. I. Some would say the I, crucible is about that. I can't relate to the communist fear of the 50s and 60s. No. To me, in twenty in the 2020s here in modern day, that seems so ridiculous. I just feel like there is a fundamental, either a fundamental misunderstanding of communism at the time or a fundamental misunderstanding of communism today. That the communism back then and what we think of communism now are not the same thing. I could give you something similar that happened in our, our lifetime. What? Uh, after 9-11, uh, the fear of like Middle Eastern people. Okay. I think yeah. it's very similar to sure. the way that they well, were then, of Well, then that communists. pretty much reinforces what I think, which is that <laughs> it was an unfounded fear. Yeah. Oh, 100%. We could do a whole episode on the Kennedys and what happened to them. Mm-hmm. There's... Honestly, that is the holy grail of conspiracy theories. If you want to talk about mysterious deaths, the president who was killed on, I want to say on TV, it wasn't on TV, but on camera, we have the footage of it. For those of you who don't know, this is the 30 second explanation of the Kennedy conspiracy theory. We could do a whole episode on this, but here's Hmm. the quick rundown. So they say, John F. Kennedy's father was apparently involved in bootlegging alcohol during the era of prohibition in the 1920s and was such a successful bootlegger slash underworld organized crime individual that he was able to build a massive fortune and become the make the Kennedys one of the wealthiest families in America. And in an effort to legitimize his family... He started sending, he he educated his sons, Robert and John F. Kennedy, and they became politicians. So the family was no longer considered a crime family, but was considered this great political family. Okay. He elevated his son, John F. Kennedy, to the highest rank in America, the president of the United States. Some people say he used his mafia connections to make this happen. Then John F. Kennedy 
uh, appoints his brother uh, in a very high position in the United States government. And Robert Kennedy makes it his personal mission to eradicate organized crime. So the conspiracy theory says that basically the Kennedys betrayed the people who put them in a position of power and thus they were eliminated. John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963. Robert Kennedy was assassinated a few years later. A lot of people say that there was a conspiracy behind those killings, especially John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested as the lone shooter of John F. Kennedy, but a lot of people say that there were more than one shooter. They say that there was a triangulation of shooters. There was somebody on the grassy knoll, there was somebody in the book depository, and there were people shooting from a bridge. Lee Harvey Oswald was killed before he could be put on trial. Mm. His murderer, a guy named Jack Ruby, also died before he could be put on trial for the killing of Lee Harvey Oswald. So the guy who killed Kennedy was killed, and the guy who killed the guy who killed Kennedy was killed, and that is the end of the story because there's nobody else to question at that point. And everybody involved is dead, so America just moved on. I think a lot of stuff recently got declassified about this. So if we ever do like a, a full deep dive, I would love to. I actually have never really read the the recent stuff that got declassified. It's so wild. Um, to read that. I will say the last thing about the Kennedy conspiracy is in 1979, the United States government, because most people who were alive at the time of the Kennedy assassination believe that there was a conspiracy believe that it was more than a, a lone shooter who killed John F. Kennedy. In 1979, the United States government launched an investigation into the possibility of a conspiracy to assassinate John F. Kennedy, and they concluded that the likelihood of a conspiracy was very high, Damn. that it probably was a conspiracy to kill him, but they cannot say who perpetrated that conspiracy Shit. or why. Conspiracy confirmed. Now let's bring it back to Marilyn Monroe. Why are we talking so much about the Kennedys? Well, people say that Marilyn Monroe was boning not one, but two Kennedys, both of them, Robert Kennedy and John Kennedy. So the Kennedys were killed in a pretty much confirmed conspiracy. Marilyn Monroe is said to have been very entangled in the lives of those men. Some people speculate that she was killed as an extended part of that conspiracy. It okay. was first proposed in that pamphlet in the 60s, but it was later brought to mainstream attention about 10 years later in 1973 in a book written by Norman Mailer. Norman Mailer claimed that Marilyn Monroe was indeed having an affair with Robert F. Kennedy and was killed by the FBI or CIA so that she could be silenced before her relationship with Robert Kennedy could be used against him to extort him and control him by whoever would be able to do such things. A lot of people didn't really believe Norman Mailer in 1973, but it was a part of the mainstream discussion. This book was huge. It was, a, it was just a biography on Marilyn Monroe. That just made this conspiracy claim. Now, I've already talked about how Marilyn Monroe had two very famous husbands, Arthur Miller and Joe DiMaggio. Okay. But let's go to the close-up camera. Sure. Look at this guy. Dude. 
He's if, snuggling up to Marilyn. If that guy could bag Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. I shouldn't say bag, but. <laughs> and it looked like he got her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could say it. He's a, he's a chunky boy. Yeah. He's not he's not that handsome. I got another I got another picture of him here somewhere. Here we go. No, oh, look at that. Oh, look at these two lovebirds. Looks like a Sears photo. This guy's name is Robert Slatzer. This is an autograph and it says to Bob, something about love. You see it there, signed Marilyn. Whoa. You see that? Yeah. We can go back to the main camera. Robert Slatzer was a book critic from Ohio who in 1946 was working at the Fox movie studio alongside Marilyn Monroe. Story says that they were both fired from Fox on the same day and thus bonded over that and became good friends. Robert, Bob, whatever you want to call him, Slatzer, said that he remained very, very good friends with Marilyn Monroe up until her death. He even claims that for three days in the 50s, they eloped to Mexico and were married. He claims that they were married for only three days, but then after returning to America, the studio, which pretty much controlled every aspect of Marilyn Monroe's life, forced them to annul the marriage. This is a dubious claim. Most people think it's bullshit, but it's the claim that he made. Robert Slatzer, uh, in 1975, released his own book where he claimed that Marilyn Monroe did have an affair with Robert Kennedy and had an affair with John F. Kennedy, and that she was privy to a lot of national secrets and personal information about both Kennedy brothers, and he claims that she wrote down all of this information in something called her Red Diary. This, this legendary Red Diary of Marilyn Monroe Robert Slatzer claims that it is because of the existence of this red diary that Marilyn Monroe was assassinated, that the CIA or somebody else killed her in an effort to gain possession of the red diary. This would make a cool movie. In fact, Robert Slatzer was so convinced that this was true, he hired a private investigator. To look into the matter. Okay. Here's what the private investigator came up with. The private investigator said that, well, first of all, he found a man who worked at the Los Angeles coroner's office, a man named Lionel Grandison. That's a fake name. Lionel Grandison claims to be uh, the man who who checked in Marilyn Monroe's body. Grandison said that Marilyn Monroe's body had been extensively bruised and that these details had been omitted from her autopsy report. Wow. It was a cover-up. He also said that police brought in a red diary as part of the evidence but that after he saw it on that initial night, mm. he never saw the Red Diary again. Dude. It vanished. Government captor. Um, the detective also claimed that Marilyn Monroe had her house wiretapped 
uh, oh gosh, I got to find the name here, by the world's most prominent wiretapper, <laughs> a man named Bernard Spindle. Bernard Spindle. Let me read you the Wikipedia entry of Bernard Spindle. Just the first okay. paragraph. Bernard Spindle was an American surveillance, wiretapping, electronics, and lockpicking expert generally regarded as the best in his field. Um, he was responsible for eliminating more bugs and wiretaps than anyone in history. Damn. Bernard B. Spindle was described by people in the United States government as... A wireman of unequal genius, the Nikola Tesla of electronic eavesdropping. He was actually so famous in the 60s as a wiretapper that in 1966, an article in Life magazine named him the number one big league freelance eavesdropper and wiretapper in the United States. Bob uh, Slatzer's private detective says that he found evidence that Bernard Spindle had in fact wiretapped Marilyn Monroe's house, not on behalf of the United States government, but on behalf of Jimmy Hoffa and the Giancano crime family. I was going to say, this is starting to sound like a fucking uh, Martin Scorsese movie. And then Jimmy Hoffa appeared. Supposedly the mafia wanted to get a hold of that little red diary so that they could use the information in it against Robert Kennedy because Robert Kennedy was engaged in a vendetta to destroy the American mafia. Oh. And supposedly Robert Kennedy was also sleeping with Marilyn Monroe, so they killed her to send a message to him. I just watched the God, the, the second Godfather movie, and this is feeling like that. This is all making sense, yeah. huh? Well... Here's the thing. Bernard Spindle, that wiretapper, he admits it. He says he did tap Marilyn Monroe's house. Okay. Let me reiterate. This guy is the number one wiretap man in pretty much American history, and he says he did it. Police went to his apartment, and they confiscated all of his wiretapping um materials because he was actually arrested in connection with Jimmy Hoffa and they both were charged with crimes of wiretapping and spying on people and so he went to jail and after he was arrested the search warrant allowed the police to collect all of his recordings from his house they were unable to find any tapes of Marilyn Monroe and for that reason they discounted his claim that he had, in fact, tapped Marilyn Monroe's house. He says he did it, but the police can't find the tapes. So they say, you didn't do it. I'm not making this up. Those are the facts. That, to me, is a very thin reason to... I mean, I guess it's a good reason and a bad reason to, to disqualify somebody's claim. They say, like... So. It comes down to, do you believe Bernard Spindle or not? He says he did it. He's a very well-reputed wiretap and eavesdropping expert in America. In fact, he's the number one wiretapping expert in America, probably in American history, definitely at the time. But they can't find the tape. 
So yeah. they don't believe him. But we're talking about a conspiracy theory that involves the FBI, the CIA, the mafia. It's not hard to imagine why a little recording tape would disappear. Yeah, I'd burn that immediately. Burn it immediately, right? Well, um, you know, Jimmy Hoffa famously disappeared as well. <laughs> yeah. He was believed to be murdered by the mafia. Mm. His body to this day has never been discovered. Um, the, the, the coroner who claims that Marilyn Monroe had bruises on her body, who claims to have seen the Red Diary. Let me say this, by the way. Um, Robert uh, Slatzer and his private investigator believed this story so much that in 1980, almost 20 years after Marilyn Monroe's death, they got the Los Angeles Police Department to reopen the investigation. Wow. To reopen the investigation in 1980. I didn't know this was a cold case. Well, it's Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I mean, this is like uh, connected to the biggest conspiracy yeah, of all yeah, time, yeah. the Kennedys. So the police went and interviewed um, that um, coroner's assistant, Lionel Grandison, and they determined that he was an unreliable witness because he had been charged with uh, the crime of robbing corpses. He was a grave robber. Yeah. I don't know what that has to do with your report on Marilyn Monroe's body, <laughs> but basically they're like, man, I can't trust this guy. Cause uh, when you die, he'll uh, steal your watch. So anything he says is bullshit. I'm not passing judgment. It could be bullshit, but I just love that all throughout this conspiracy. I just feel like the reasons to disqualify um, these uh, claims are very dubious. It's like, ah, this guy says he wiretapped Marilyn Monroe, but we can't find the tape. This guy uh, says he saw the Red Diary, but he's a grave robber. He probably stole the Red Diary, honestly. So the police found that the evidence was inconclusive. Um, they don't actually think that Robert um, Slatzer's claims are true. Okay. But there's a lot of loose ends there. And people to this day still investigate the Marilyn Monroe conspiracy. They investigate her death as if it was something more than an accidental overdose. In fact, there is a new conspiracy theory going around about Marilyn Monroe's death that has nothing to do with the Kennedys and has nothing to do with the mafia. But um, recently, in the past decade, a new theory has come out that Marilyn Monroe actually accidentally overdosed on a prescription of drugs that was prescribed to her illegally, much in the same way that Michael Jackson died. Okay, that makes sense. I think similar stuff happened to Judy Garland as well. They were like prescribing her all this crazy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they say that Marilyn Monroe essentially had two doctors who were prescribing her medication at the time because she was suffering from a form of psychosis and that the doctors had a working agreement with one another that they would not prescribe her any medicine unless they had both agreed upon it. Oh. The story goes that Marilyn was able to convince one of the doctors to um, give her um, some sort of enema. <laughs> I don't know what the purpose of this enema is. 
by flush, the, it, flush her out, dude. By the way, uh, the steam couldn't get up there. Enema so uh, is like uh, medicine you put up your butt. I always right? thought an enema was like they f- they pump you full of water and then they like flush it out. It's to cl- clean your um, intestines. Uh, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I always thought an enema was. Point People is, still get enemas. Uh, point is, uh, I, I, I ha- I'm going through my notes here because I want to I wanna see if they mention what the actual drug is. I can't find the name of it. But as the theory goes, she overdosed on this enema that was illegally prescribed to her. I bet you... Uh, an enema means you're like clearing it out. I bet that was like more like she thought it was like to lose weight or something. Maybe. Um, people claim that if you go back and review her autopsy, the signs of her death are more consistent with an enema overdose rather than oral ingestion. Mm-hmm. So they say that these doctors discovered her body and were afraid that they would lose their medical practice licenses. And so they staged her accidental overdose to appear to be a suicide so that they could save their practice. Very plausible. So who do you believe? That's the Marilyn Monroe death conspiracy. And there are, it's conspiracies within conspiracies within conspiracies. Was Marilyn Monroe a part of the Communist Party and the CIA assassinated her because they didn't want her to spread communism? Was Marilyn Monroe having an affair with John F. Kennedy and the CIA assassinated her because they didn't want her to expose their political weaknesses? Was Marilyn Monroe having an affair with John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy and the mafia assassinated her so that they could get her diary of secrets? Or was Marilyn Monroe illegally prescribed prescription pills that she overdosed on and then her doctors doctored her death to make it look like a suicide? We don't know. We don't know. I don't know. The case, uh, for all intents and purposes, is closed at this point um, all these years later, 60 years later. But the conspiracy theories are still going strong. So what do you think? All right, you got something for us. Yes. See that shit? Is that a car going over the Grand Canyon? That's Dard Robinson jumping at a car over the Grand Canyon. Hold on, let me let me frame this camera. <laughs> You could frame this fucking photo. Beautiful. Wow. When was that photo taken? I wish I knew. Uh, <laughs> uh, Dar Robinson was one of the most legendary, I, like I said, legendary stunt performers in all of Hollywood. He was probably the... Oh, shit. Looking at my fingers for a second there. Uh, yeah, he was one of the most legendary stuntmen in all of Hollywood for a while. Um, he broke 19 world records, uh, and he set like 21 of like the world's first in stunt in like being a stuntman. And he was the inventor of something called the decelerator. Uh, when you watch like behind the scenes stuff, a decelerator being when you go too fast, the car automatically slows down. No. Uh, well you could say that, but like the decelerator is kind of a, you know, like when you see people do wire stunts in films, mm. you know how, like when they go really fast and they stop, they get go like really slow towards the end. Oh, okay. he invented that. It tech. eases them. Yeah, yeah. He invented that tech. Um, it was, oh, he, he wanted to, to develop a way to jump off of things without pe- cameramen catching the giant inflatable, like, uh, a crash pad. Mm-hmm. So he invented this thing where, like, when you jump, 
the wire will stop you and you won't die. Um, I have more examples of this man doing some crazy, wacky stuff. Here's some uh, footage of my man jumping out of a... Uh, Is this the actual guy? Yeah, that's him jumping out of a fucking helicopter. I think this was a world record here. Um, wow, that's a big crash pad. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I lost my place here. Uh, yeah, that was a world record. Uh, he, uh, highest fall from into an airbag from 311 feet. Um, that's one of the world records he broke. But um, the biggest highlight in his career was uh, in the movie High Point. He jumped from the deck of the Toronto CN Tower, uh, which was a free fall of almost 700 feet. I have some footage of that as well. Uh, this was from some like documentary. Oh, so I'm just going to jump around to the actual jump here. That's him as well. I love the tracksuit. And this is the decelerator that he's using. Wow, he looks so cool as he goes down. <laughs> Lord, I don't know what the fuck I love the here. circus music. Yeah. <laughs> but you see how it like kind of stops him at the end? <laughs> Looks like shit. <laughs> so uh yeah, there was like a, a scene in a movie where Christopher Plummer had to jump off the, the that tower, and that's uh he was the one who did it. Oh, okay, that's cool. That was a real stunt for a movie. Yeah. Respect. Um he did stunts for like a lot of popular TV shows and movies, um, notably Magnum Force. Rollerball, The Fall Guy, and To Live and Die in L.A. Um, but his last three films were Cyclone, Lethal Weapon, and Million Dollar Mystery. I've never heard of Million Dollar Mystery. Me either. Uh, but the thing, uh, here's the thing about Dar is apparently his stunts were always extremely planned. He never made a mistake in his life. Um... He never broke a single bone doing any stunt. So it's nice. it's kind of bizarre in 1986 when he accidentally drove his motorcycle off a cliff uh, filming a stunt for the movie Million Dollar Mystery and passed away. So no one knows what happened. Was it a mystery? Was it a self-death? Well, what were the circumstances of the motorcycle accident? Uh, he he uh, passed the point of breaking in his turn and as he was going towards his turn, he just flew off the the, the cliff and sadly passed away. Mm. Um, that was probably just an accident. You think so? Yeah, because motorcycle. But he, he'd never broken a bone. He meticulously planned everything. Well, you know, you do know you you are a motorcycleman. Yeah, uh, most motorcycle accidents happen when you take a turn too fast and okay. and you go too wide, and it's a common thing. When motorcyclists, uh, I, I found this out in like safety training videos that when a motorcyclist panics um, in a turn that they come into wide, it often results in them hitting the outside wall because it requires to recover from a turn that you're taking too fast. You have to lean the bike an extreme amount. If you've ever seen um, moto races, where they have like the full gear. Yeah. Imagine how close they lean to the ground yeah, with like, their knee up. That takes years of training to be comfortable to do that. And if you are just coming in hot and you're not prepared to take your face three inches from the ground, leaning the bike that hard, yeah. you're going to go wide. 
Uh, yeah, the, the sad part of, of this whole story was that, like, I think this was the last stunt of the day. And uh, apparently, I don't know the circumstances fully, but apparently the whole medical, like, staff that they had on, on site uh, on the set left for the day uh, to, to go film another sh stunt. <laughs> and he just kind of did that and died. So it's really sad. Uh, I think this guy's awesome. I kind of wanted to just tell a story because uh, I was blown away uh, by how cool he was and all the cool stuff he did. And, and I feel like he paved the way for the modern uh, stuntman. So shouts out to Dar Robinson. I'd what, love to see what year did he guy. die? He died in uh, 1986. Oh, okay. So he was kind of around the same time as Evil Knievel. Yeah. Who was a daredevil, which is like a stuntman who doesn't do it for movies, just does it for the sake of doing the stunt. One of his last movies was Lethal Weapon, the first Lethal Weapon. Mm. So that's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's all I have on him. Shouts out to Dar Robinson. Nice. RIP. Rest in power, bro. Rest in power, Dar Robinson. Hey, let's take a minute to talk about uh, another sponsor we have from our show. And I know people are always groaning like, oh, a sponsor. But this one is special because this one is from a member of the Mega Strange community, our friend Jess. Jess, otherwise known as John Elizabeth Stinzy, has written a book called My Volcano. My Volcano is out now in America and Canada, wherever books are sold. Whoa. Uh, My Volcano is getting rave reviews, actually. Oh. Publishers, Weekly, Publishers Weekly says it's a brilliant achievement. It's the story of, well, it's a crazy story. Mm -hmm. um, I've been talking to Jess about the book uh, and all the good reviews it's been getting and all the praise. It's a wild science fiction fantasy dark story about a in, a, in the fictional summer of 2016, a volcano starts to grow in the middle of Central Park, New York. Oh. And as this happens, Strange events start coinciding all over the world, including kaiju monsters showing up, children, time traveling, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, check it out. My Volcano, wherever books are sold. Jess sent us a copy of the book right here. You want to get a close-up of it? Yeah, sure. There, there it is. Aww, and it also came with some uh, custom tarot cards, which is kind of cool. And I think cool. these are like um, related to some characters in the book. So you have like the beginning there. I love tarot cards. The insect. These actually have nothing to do with real tarot cards. Uh, I noticed because I was going through these. Being <laughs> like, Oh, do these correspond to the major arcana? No, these are just ones that Jess made up themselves oh, yeah. uh, to promote the book. But it's cool. These are all like figures that uh, figure into the book. Oh, this cabin that grows feet and walks around Whoa. is like a prominent character in the book. And uh, all kinds of interesting stuff. They also sent these like mock <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! Ma Magic the Gathering you know cards. Me. I love card games for children. Yeah, there's so much interesting stuff going on here with like yokai mythology, kaiju stuff. It kind of really fits into the Mega Strange <laughs> vibe. Yeah. So I think if people are watching this show and you like it and you want to support a member of the community who's written an awesome book, check out My Volcano. Pick it up. Yeah. Is this a, like all stores? It's available? Yeah, it's That's in stores. That's so sick. This is a... Jess. Yeah. That's an accomplishment. Shouts People out, out there in the community making moves, being creative. Hell yeah. Getting their, achieving their dreams. Yo. Yes. A scrub is a guy who thinks he's fly. He's also known as a buster. Always talking about no what scrub. he wants, but just sits on his broke ass. So no, I don't want your number. No. no. I don't want to give you mine. And no. no. I don't want to meet you nowhere. No. no. Don't want none of your time. You ever heard that song? 
Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, famous. Uh, That's DLC the biggest hit ever. Jam. By TLC. Tender Love and Care. I'm old. Dude. I'm the old guy. I'm 36 years old. I was born in 1985. I grew up in the 90s, bro. And I can't tell you, I can't even describe to you how big TLC was in the 90s. What about your friends? Will they stand their ground? You know that? How about no, this one? Don't. don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers that song, and the lakes that you're used to. I think I heard that song every day when I was a kid. TLC yeah. was huge. 100%. TLC was huge. TLC stood for the names of the people in the band. Oh. <laughs> T-Boz was the T. I didn't know. Lisa Left Eye Lopez oh. was the L. And Chile, Chile was the C. Uh, they were a massive group. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but they only put out three albums. That makes sense. I feel like a lot of uh, big uh, pop acts at the time only really put out. Because like, if you think about like, the Backstreet Boys, they only put like two out, right? Really? Wasn't it like their, their self-titled in like Millennium? I don't know the names of the Backstreet Boys You don't remember Millennium, dude? That was the big... I had that on cassette. You were a, you were a BSB fan? And in sync, dude. I had no strings attached. I didn't know you were into boy bands. What? I was like That's a, a little nerdy. I was a little kid. Uh, my dad hated it. I, was I bet. Like, didn't your dad love Metallica? Yeah, my dad loves all. Well, my dad loves like hair metal, so he can't talk. Why were you into boy bands? I don't know. I was a little kid. Who's your favorite boy bander? Justin Timberlake? I, Joey Fatone? The thing Chris is, Kirkpatrick? I had these albums because like I think my mom really liked it. And I kind of just like whatever my mom listened to. Remember when you were a kid and everything you're you like parents listen to, you listen to. Yeah. So I listened to like fucking the Backstreet Boys and Garth Brooks until I was like 10. And then I was like, oh, what's the AFI? OK, and then cool. I changed. Well, in 2002, Lisa Left Eye Lopez was um, feuding with her bandmates in TLC. She had felt like she didn't understand what her place in the band was supposedly was she the main person was she just a rapper t uh lisa left eye lopez was known as the rapper of the group yeah. while the other two were more like singers she was also kind of the crazy one in the group she had married a football player who she had like a tumultuous relationship with she had m multiple times caught her husband cheating on her Mm. And her response would be to take his things and put them in the bathtub and set them on fire. That's badass. Sounds badass until uh, at one point, I think in the early 2000s, she took his shoe collection, put it in the bathtub of their mansion, covered it with lighter fluid, set it on fire and burnt the whole mansion down. I was about to say that's a... There's no stopping that fire. <laughs> she ended up going to jail mm. for arson uh, after that one. And that is when people started talking about the instability of Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Oh, God. What's wrong with Lisa? Why is she acting like this? She really needs to find herself. She's feuding with her bandmates. Is TLC going to release a fourth album? Nobody knew it was going to happen. In the year 2000, actually, TLC was going on a press junket to promote their um, music, mm -hmm. and Lisa, like, vanished. Nobody knew where she went, and it turns out she just flew off to the jungles of Honduras. She was just chilling in Honduras, doing charity work, helping the kids down there, finding herself, and spending time with a guru named Dr. Sumi. He was a very uh, controversial guru uh i'm sorry that name is wrong dr sebi 
Dr. Sebi. Dr. Sebi. Dr. Sebi claimed that you could cure any disease by fixing your diet. Um, he was also practicing numerology with Lisa Left Eye Lopez, astrology, and other weird, supernatural, possibly fringe occult and magical practices in Honduras. Uh, is that any re anywhere related to like, um, there's those people who claim to like cure cancer and they just do really good sleight of hand. You ever see that? It could be. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Dr. Sebi is extremely controversial mm. and a lot of people uh, say that his claims are dubious at best. In 2002, Lisa Left Eye Lopez returned to Honduras to find herself, to go on a spiritual journey. Sadly, she would not return from Honduras. She would die down there. I didn't know that happened in Honduras. It, in Honduras. Wow. But this is what is so strange about the circumstances of her death. She predicted it was going to happen. You see, Lisa had been down there. Well, first, she was recording a documentary about herself. And in the documentary, it has since come out. And she says the strangest things in this documentary. One of the quotes is, uh, I didn't tell y'all about Nina, my evil twin, who came from within on whom I blame all my sins. She talks about her father's death in the documentary and the nature of death itself. And she says that she personally does not believe in death. She believes in transformation. Okay. She goes on to say, when someone passes away, look up. A new star is born. That's like a common kind of... She said she didn't believe in death. But then an event happened that changed her mind. Not only would she begin to believe in death, she started to believe that an evil spirit was stalking her, coming to kill her. In the final weeks of Lisa Left Eye Lopez's life in Honduras, while she's filming this documentary, she begins to tell the documentary crew that she feels as if she's being followed by a spirit. They're driving down the road one day in a van and they, they crash into a boy. They hit a boy and he's severely injured. They take him to the hospital. Lisa Left Eye Lopez is clutching the boy as they go to the hospital. He passes away from his injuries. She's heartbroken. She pays for the medical bills. She pays for his funeral. She personally picks out his coffin. But the boy's last name is Lopez. Oh, God. And she thinks that there is a... She becomes convinced that there is a spirit hunting her, and it got that boy instead of her. She believes that she was the Lopez who was supposed to be taken. It's like uh, Final Destination rules. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like Final Destination. Yeah, yeah. She starts telling this to the crew. I think that it was supposed to be me and not that boy who died. Two weeks later, she is driving on the road again 
when she has a car accident uh, and she dies yeah. fatally. What happens in this car accident, she's driving down the road and supposedly she swerves to get around a truck but then moves into oncoming traffic and has to swerve again to move out of oncoming traffic where she loses control of her car and it goes off the road and it crashes and she dies at the age of 30. Um, it's crazy that she predicted her own death and two weeks later, she actually died. What's even more horrifying about this is that the documentary cameras yeah. were rolling at the time of the crash and you can go on YouTube and actually find the footage of the final moments of Lisa Left Eye Lopez's life. I watched the footage today <laughs> and it gave me chills. I, I, We're not going to play it on the no, show. No, no, no. Because that's in bad taste. I, I've seen that footage and it, it's like, it's haunting. You don't see anything like morbid. It's just haunting knowing what happens. Knowing what happens. Basically, yeah. in the over the course of the video, it's just a few seconds long. She's driving and there's other people in the car. By the way, she was killed instantly in this car crash. It was a horrible car crash. Yeah. Nobody else died. And the, really? And the car was filled with people. There yeah. were like three other people in the car. She was the only one who died. Mm. When you watch the video, it, it, it happens very suddenly. She's just driving and she kind of like turns back to talk to everybody. And then you just hear wheels screeching yeah. and the camera goes back to the road and you could see the car goes off the road. And then you hear a scream and the video cuts out. I think you just hit the nail on the head. Why it freaks me out. It just shows you how fast, like, it can all just change, you know? Yeah. How fast you, it just happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Lisa Left Eye Lopez's death is covered by the news worldwide. And pretty much immediately, the news reports about her premonition that she had predicted her own death and that she said that there was a spirit following her. You got scared. Yeah, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> that there is a spirit following her through the jungles of Honduras trying to hunt her down. Okay. That's really scary. Yeah. I don't know why the spirit would be hunting her, but you know, at the same time, she's practicing astrology, numerology. She's talking about her evil twin, Nina, who's responsible for all her sins. She's like ruminating on the death of her father. I believe that there is just a lot of dark stuff happening down there in Honduras. And we don't really know what Lisa Left Eye Lopez was getting up to down in that jungle. But nope. she had a feeling that something bad was going to happen to her, and it did. And that is a wild story. That's the Lisa Left Eye Lopez story. That's really scary. Yeah, it is. Um, okay. You said you have a speech prepared for us? Well, I'm, I just kind of wanted to talk from the heart here, if that's cool. Okay. Um... Yeah, it's this is going to be a weird one, and I apologize if it, if it's uh, weird out there um, for everyone watching. But this is something that really I want to pull the curtain uh, aside for a second and kind of say like we, you and I were talking about uh, not really covering this because it's a little morbid. But I I just wanted to kind of like really talk about it because I feel strongly about it. Uh, 
I have no idea what he's about to say. Yeah. So as a filmmaker uh, or like as a filmmaker, as someone who, who, who went to film school and, and all this stuff, I think that like people who work on films, like a lot of them are very underpaid and overworked. And a lot of times accidents happen, um, you know, similar to how like the stuff with uh, uh, what's his name with on the film Rust. Yeah, uh, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, the Alec Baldwin situation, like accidents can happen. And, and I think it really changes the landscape of filmmaking. Um, I think now that most film sets won't use live rounds anymore. And I think that's great because for years we didn't need to be using live rounds. That's ridiculous. Um, so I want to talk about something I feel like has never really that a lot of people don't know and I think should be more out there because it's a travesty and it was I feel like these people got off scot-free for for murder and I just wanted to uh, talk about that there's this film you may have heard of it uh, there uh, there was a movie version of the show The Twilight Zone okay have you, have you ever seen that movie yeah yeah uh, John Lithgow yeah so yeah, it premiered in 1983, you know, uh, just for the audience out there, uh, it is an anthology film of uh, shorts that are kind of based around episodes of The Twilight Zone uh, by a bunch of different directors. There's like John Landis, Steven Spielberg, Joe Dante, and George Miller. They all directed like little segments. And uh, George, on, George Miller from Mad Max? I think so, yeah. Oh, nice. I, and Happy Feet fame. <laughs> I saw this movie as a kid. It scared the shit out of me. I watched it as an adult and I, it wasn't very good. Um, but during <laughs> John Landis's segment, uh, there, uh, his short film is about a racist that is kind of sent back in time. Sent back to, in time. I remember this. Yeah. He goes back to like 1940s Germany and then he's sent back to like the antebellum South where slavery is still going and he gets to experience how bad racism is. Yeah. And he kind of learns and, and, uh, the classic Twilight Zone. He, he apparently finished the film and the studio was like. This character doesn't have any emotional kind of arc. You need to add a scene. Uh, let me put a pin there. Um, when I was in film school, one of my teachers, I was talking about this movie, and uh, one of my directing teachers, he was this old old man. He kind of sounded like he smoked a cigarette every hour. And then I was talking about this movie, and he was like, you know, John Landis killed jo uh, Vic Morrow and a bunch of children. And I was like, excuse me? He's like, yeah. He... he uh, he killed them. And I was like, oh God, like, what are you talking like? He kept just saying that and not like uh, elaborating. And, and I went home and I did my own research and I learned about this. So apparently when the studio said add another scene, uh, he decided to set a scene in uh, Vietnam. Uh, he wanted an excuse to do a lot of like explosions and a lot of like crazy effects. And they, uh, the scene was Vic Morrow was run, would save these young Vietnamese kids during the Vietnam War. And rescue them and kind of like finish his character arc they had a uh helicopter flying overhead uh the helicopter was being piloted by a i think an actual vietnam vet um and they're shooting mortar fire off around and apparently they they try to get a shot the shot and uh the the helicopter pilot being like really well versed in being a helicopter pilot was like you know he kind of like stayed away like stayed up high and they couldn't really get him in the shot and uh this is more hearsay and this is what my teacher said he said apparently um 
John Landis got on the walkie talkie and said, if you don't bring that fucking helicopter lower, you'll never work in this business again. And so uh, this guy swallowed his pride, uh, didn't want to get fired, didn't want to get blacklisted from Hollywood. He, 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 he put all his fears and stuff in the back of his head. He brought the helicopter lower. The mortar hit the back of uh, the helicopter. It went down, killing Vic Morrow and the two children. Uh, I just wanted to let everyone know that because a lot of people don't know that. And John Landis got Warner Brother uh, lawyers on his side to get him out of this. And I just think, I don't want to say the blood is on his hands, but I feel I feel very strongly about it. And I'm getting like worked up right now. You could, you could talk if you want. <laughs> I just feel very strongly about that. It should be known that John Landis uh, is fucked up. <laughs> Was fucked up. I'm pretty sure John Landis is, is fucked dead. up. No, he's alive. He's, oh, he is? He's still alive, yeah. Oh, I thought he died. Nope. Well, I hope he's not watching this. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I just feel... Oh, my God. I feel extreme, really strongly Let about that. Let me ask that. you, why do you feel so passionate about this? I, Like I said, I think filmmaker, uh, people who work in, in the film industry get bullied a lot by people who think that they have the ability to bully like that. Like John Ye Landis yelling at her. Apparently... Uh, it is out there that he was like acting like a fucking dictator on that set. Um, and I feel like when you act like that, you can, you, you put the, the whole crew's life in danger when you're doing crazy stunts like that and you're acting like a dickhead. And I just feel as a person who's worked on sets and done dangerous things on set, uh, I like to, to believe that the higher budget films are safe. Um, and then you have people like, um, like the incident with rust. Where, where stuff like that still happens to this day. And, and I just feel very strongly about that stuff. What's the most dangerous thing you've ever done on set? I mean, probably just like hanging lights off of like without safety chaining them. That happens a lot. I don't know if you know this, but lights fall on people uh, mm -hmm. during sets. We have like all these safety chains and stuff put in place, but sometimes people don't do that. Hanging lights without safety chaining them. Yeah. Johnny's a wild man, dude. Welcome to the Wild West. I thought you were going to say, ask me. Ask me, ask me. All right, what's the most dangerous thing you've ever done in a film set? It'd probably be the full body burn I did <laughs> for uh, Backyard Messiah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. that shit was hot. <laughs> there was no uh, fireman or safety protocol on set that day. Uh, we were next to a pool, so I think I could have jumped into the <laughs> pool if it got too hot, but then I might have drowned. I don't know. I guess either that or like all the shit we blew up yeah uh, with like real explosives or um going out into the desert um into just uh government property and like shooting guns at stuff shit that could have go gone <laughs> yeah i mean i've been in so many uh situations where stuff could have gone bad real fast and yeah could have got injured and died so you understand like you know i mean like i mean we weren't hanging lights yeah. with no chains yeah. like we weren't <laughs> oh, serial yeah. killers right. but you know <laughs> We were I, we were doing our own. Sorry, thing. you put me on a spot. I really couldn't think of it. I mean, like, I guess with Ava, we set that uh big prism thing on fire. That was pretty scary. I was pretty scared that day. Oh, uh, we did a video once for Mega 64 called The Cloud, where Garrett yeah. Garrett had to light his arm on fire oh, and yeah. light the table on fire. And the flames got so big on that, like I shit my pants. I was like, we're gonna burn down our <laughs> studio and like every other building on this block, like that fire got so big inside of our studio. I do think about that shot a lot because it, the, that fire got so big. I'll never forget. The, like the, I was sweating. I was like, what the fuck are we doing? The fire on the wall that's going up the paper always it's concerns so me. It's so big. It's so yeah. big. Um, 
Anyway, yeah, so yeah, I just want to say thank you for letting me kind of go off on that. I, I just always have felt strongly about that. And I thought that like this topic could have uh, give me the ability to kind of talk about uh, my feelings on that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think that there's a whole collection of stories of people who got away with murder in Hollywood. That yeah, we, we could cover. I almost brought up the Matthew Broderick thing, but you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to Google that yourself. All right, let me finish this out. Let mm. me finish out today's episode with one final story. This is the story that has to do with a unsolved murder. Okay. And the movie Jaws. Some people mm. out there may have heard of this. I don't know if you've heard of this. Mm. It's called uh, The Lady of the Dunes. Okay. You ever heard of The Lady of the Dunes? No, that sounds like a dune book. Lady of the Dunes, also known as The Lady in the Dunes, is the nickname of an unidentified murder victim. Mm. Discovered on July 26, 1974, in Provincetown, Massachusetts. This woman has never been identified, and her murder remains unsolved to this day, despite the fact that it's an open case that is actively being investigated all these years later. Her body has been exhumed multiple times. Exhumed means they dig it out from the grave to inspect it. They did it in 1980, they did it in the year 2000, they did it in the year 2013, and who knows, they might do it again uh, after this episode come out. Uh, oh to date, the efforts to identify her killer have been unsuccessful. The body was discovered, um, oh shit, whoops, wrong page here. The body was discovered by a 12-year-old girl who was walking her dog on July 26th, 1974. The dog wandered off and discovered this body. The girl thought it was uh, a dead deer at first, but then realized that it was a person. The victim, the lady, um, was laying face down on a beach blanket with no signs of struggle. So people think that she was either asleep when she was killed or she knew her killer. But um, this is a gruesome detail. Her hands were missing. Police think that whoever killed her tried to hide her identity by removing oh. uh, the ability to get fingerprints on her. She was wearing a blue bandana and a pair of Wrangler jeans um, were next to her body. She had long hair pulled back in a ponytail and her toenails were painted pink is a detail. That's kind of a gruesome detail. <laughs> yeah. when they're like the toenails are painted pink. I just, you know, I read that and I was like, Ooh, I got stuck on the Wrangler jeans, the Wrangler jeans. They're just chilling on the side. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the police looked at her dental records and found that she had highly specific and very expensive dental work done. This is in 1974. They estimated that she had between five to $10,000 worth of dental work done. Is that with inflation or? Uh, I don't know, just okay. at the time. Wow. And the dentist... Uh, who were called in to look at it said that it was done in the New York style of dental work. Um, the police searched for dental records all around the tri-state area and the country were never able to find matching dental records. This is one of the biggest mysteries of the lady in the dunes. $10,000 worth of dental work, no record of it. Even though they know it's in the style of one region of America, they cannot pin it down. I didn't know there was different dental styles. I didn't either. <laughs> uh, 
2013, the body was exhumed to do DNA testing on it, but it yielded no results. Wait, hold on. Sorry. Can I ask a question here? Yeah. Uh, so did they keep the body unburied for that long? No, they exhume it. They dig it out. Oh, shit. They, I didn't, they sorry, dig I didn't it out of the grave. That's what exhume means. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not your Sunday romp in the park. <laughs> this ain't the little kids uh, uh, murder investigation. We're digging up dead bodies here. I didn't know that was the thing that people did. That's scary. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Well, yeah. Um, you may remember when we talked about our vampire episode. Yeah. When they thought vampires were attacking the town, they would go exhume the bodies of these supposed vampires and find that they had not decomposed at all, thus confirming their vampirism. Exhumations are a long-standing tradition in these episodes of ours. Okay. Don't exhume me. Here's where it gets mega strange. Whoa. He said the titular line. This one is this one is really funny too. I don't know why I get such a kick out of this. <laughs> in 2015, in the summer of 2015, a new theory was proposed as to the identity of the Lady in the Dunes. Okay. This theory was concocted by the son of Stephen King. That's right. The famous world famous horror author. Joe Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah. You ever read a Joe Hill book? No, but didn't you do Lock and Key? Is he that did, yeah, yeah. No, he it. did Horns. He did Heart Shaped Box. Okay. Stephen King's son. Joe Hill says that he was watching the movie Jaws, and he had recently been reading a book about how amateur sleuths had been discovering and solving cold cases all over America. He got interested in the case of the lady in the dunes and Joe Hill believes that the lady in the dunes is actually actually appears in the movie Jaws as an extra in the 4th of July scene of the movie. Um, I have some photographs here okay. to show you what he's talking about. So first, this is let's go to the close up camera. This is a police composite of what they believe the lady in the dunes might actually look like. Is that a 3d model? Yeah. Okay. This is one of the early police composites. This is kind of the leading police composite. Okay. Um, but we also have this picture of multiple composites right here. I particularly like this one. <laughs> yeah. It's they all look so different. They look different, but they also have similar qualities. Yeah, to them, like same features. Right. Like we don't know exactly what this woman looked like. She could have looked like any of these. Um, this one, of course, is kind of like a yeah, like an amalgamation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let me show you this. Whoa. Oh shit. That's her, dude. Blue bandana. Wrangler jeans. Dude. This is a still image from the film Jaws. The red circle has been added to highlight the lady. Yeah. Little side by side. Little side by side comparison. That's 100% her. You think so? I'm not a cop, but that's my. You think so? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Some people think. Uh, well, let me see if I can find the information here. 
While watching the film's 4th of July beach scene, Joe Hill spotted a woman in the crowd wearing blue bandana jeans similar to those found on the body. Um, the filming of Jaws took place in Martha's Vineyard, about 100 miles south of where the body was discovered. And yeah, one serial killer, I can't remember his name, has claimed to fess up to this murder. Um, but police say that he has schizophrenia. Oh. And so they don't know if it's true. What do you think at home? Is this woman the lady of the dunes? I think so. So, and, it, oh, sorry. And all I'm going to say is if she was on set on Jaws, it might be safe to presume her killer was on set as well. And perhaps Steven Spielberg filmed the murderer in Jaws. Who knows? So it was on the same beach and everything as the, as the set of Jaws? No, 100 okay. miles away. Oh. 100 miles away. Damn. But police also think because the body was like laid on a beach blanket and it wasn't disturbed, that the body may have been moved to oh. that location. So it remains unsolved to this day, but a lot of people think that the lady in the dunes is this mysterious woman from... From Jaws and the identity of this woman has also never been confirmed. Wow. No actress has come forward saying that she is the woman in this photo because potentially she's dead. That is the lady in the dunes. That is the Steven Spielberg conspiracy theory. He filmed a woman who was later killed potentially by a serial killer. That brings us to the conclusion of today's episode, everybody. What do you think about the things we talked about today? Was Marilyn Monroe killed by the CIA because of her information that she knew about the Kennedys? Was the Lady in the Dune actually filmed by Steven Spielberg in Jaws? Is John Landis a piece of shit? Is John Landis a piece of shit? <laughs> Let us know in the comments. Tell us what you think. We yeah. appreciate everybody coming uh, and watching today's episode. If you want to support us, Subscribe to the Make Strange yes. podcast on YouTube and hit the notifications button. Share this episode with a friend if you think they'd like it and follow us on Instagram at Make a Strange Podcast. We are back every Tuesday and every Saturday with another episode. Tuesdays are the Make a Strange mailbag. Call our hotline and share your story and let us analyze it. Every Saturday is our big time deep dive where we are going to be covering all kinds of crazy stuff. We're big time, baby. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for watching. Have a good one. Good night. Stay strange.